everybody out there. It is Tuesday, March 20th, and this is the Weekly Impact Podcast. I am Brent Smith. Uh, today around the table, I am joined by Jacob Kingsley, Daniel Yelverton, Hello. and our old pal, Jen Kaler. Hey, Jen. How are you doing? I'm It's been awesome. a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, it's good to have you here. Um, she is here to join us today um, as we get into Revelation chapter 1. And this chapter is a little bit different than most that uh, are in the Bible and that we've gotten into before. So Daniel's just going to give us a little bit of insight on why that is. So uh, one of the things that we can understand from the author John is that he's writing this in the style of the Old Testament prophets. And so there's a uh, prophecy that you see all throughout the Old Testament that uses a lot of imagery, uh, a lot of visions, a lot of different things like that as he is kind of uh, writing this down. And so uh, know that John is writing to actual churches. So this is a letter that's being distributed to seven churches throughout Asia Minor during the time. But since it is prophetic in the way it is written, there is a lot of imagery, lots of symbols, different things like that for us to kind of glean from uh, that not only was applicable for the present day, so that John was writing to these seven churches, it was applicable to them, but this is also applicable to us based on the way uh, we see the style of Jewish prophecy in the Old Testament. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll go ahead and get into reading the scripture. Um, And as always, always say, uh, ESV version of the Bible is what we read if you want to stick with us word for word. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. Jen, do you want to go ahead and take us on that first verse? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the thing that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, for the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and your partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so that finishes up today for this chapter. Um, Jacob, did you want to give us a little bit of context and background? Or at least kind of more of an understanding, because there's a lot of weird stuff going on in there than typical language would lay out for you. Right, and and I think that because of just this book of Revelation that we're getting into and we're going to be reading, that this podcast is hopefully going to help us all understand the rest of the book more, not just this one chapter. And so I'm going to need a lot of help on this. I don't have exhaustive knowledge. Um, unfortunately, it'd be nice if I did, but that's not the case. That's why we brought Jen on. Um, and so... <laughs> I think the the first thing to understand specifically about this chapter is he's explaining what is to come. He, he gives us the setup of how he receives a vision, and, and that's what it is, that, that God is revealing something to him in the form of a vision. And so that impacts how we understand the rest, because John is seeing the unfolding of things, and he is trying to write down as best he can to describe in his own vernacular um, and the way that he understands things. And so some things are described really weird. And we're like, what is going on here? And it's not as though it's our mission to understand the specific thing um, that is being described because we may never know the exact, you know, article that John is trying to describe because who knows what it actually looked like. And so mm-hmm. symbolism is rampant throughout this, right? And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of Christians shy away from this book, because I would argue to say it's maybe the hardest book of the Bible to understand, because there's so much going on. And it's talking about the future, and some people are like, well, I'll just live in the present and let whatever happen, happen. Um, But we even see from the beginning of this book, John saying, blessed is he who hears this, who reads it out loud, who is hoping in the coming of Jesus, who's looking forward to what is going to happen with the kingdom of God that needs to be our mindset. And so there's a need for it. The other thing, um, just as a quick note about the whole book of Revelation, is throughout church history, um, there've just been four different ways that people look at it. Mm-hmm. They look at it and they say, it's, it's just a story. It's just talking about good versus evil, and nothing is is actually talking about specific events. The other way that people look at it is they say, well, this is talking about specifically only the church and the events when John was alive. And then there's a third view that says, well, this is just talking about history that has already happened, not just John's time, but, you know, throw in the medieval and then through the Renaissance, everything like that. But it it's already come to pass. And then the fourth view is saying, well, there's still things in here 
that's talking about the future from us. Yeah. Um, and so, like Daniel mentioned earlier, this is written as um, Jewish prophecy. And prophecy didn't always have to do with predicting the future. It was always a message on behalf of God. And so the key to understanding Revelation is even though I believe it's talking about our future, that there are still things that show us the heart of God in it. It's not just a doomsday letter, but it's communicating God's heart for this world and for reconciliation and full consummation back to the perfect world that he created. Mm-hmm. Another thing to note, too, is that <clears throat> some of the things that we see in prophecy, especially Old Testament prophecy, had, um, like especially when you're talking about Jesus, a lot of times there was a someone that had fulfilled that prophecy maybe in the present, but ultimately Jesus fulfilled that prophecy in its entirety in the future. And so um, there may be things that we can say, okay, that's already happened, but that's not necessarily final when we read that because uh, prophecy can, like uh, the way that it's written and the way that it was revealed in the Old Testament is that it could have done something to do with the present, but being, uh, had ultimate fulfillment later on down the road, like when we see all the messianic prophecies mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. And so that's another thing to note is that when we read this, it's not like, okay, this happened, this is final, we don't need to worry about this anymore necessarily. It's something that we can glean from it, like Jacob said, to see the character in the heart of God, but also to apply what uh, Jesus is, is exhorting not only these churches to do, but also the the hope that we have to come. Mm-hmm. So with that... Um, We'll go ahead and get into observations, and there's probably a lot of stuff that we need to get into that we observed in this. Um, a lot of strange language that doesn't necessarily make sense exactly as it is. So if there's anything that anybody would like to get into first, um, go ahead and throw that out there now. Uh, one of my <clears throat> observations was I was confused at the beginning mm-hmm. because it talks about, um, let me get to it, uh, the seven spirits. And I got a little confused because I didn't know what the seven spirits were. So I did a little bit of research. Um, and what I found was um, the seven spirits are the seven spirits of the Lord that um, are actually seven characteristics that um, are seven characteristics of Christ that he fulfills in all for, for fullness and perfection. It is the spirit of the Lord the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, which I thought might come in handy for anybody mm-hmm. else that did not know. Yeah, I think that that's a great view because um, it's showing God in his fullness um, in, in that context. He's talking about on whose behalf is he bringing this message. Um, and so he's really showing that the full personhood of God is involved in this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's awesome. And I think it's cool that you, like you said, the full personhood of God, because there's only instances where we get God, the father, God, the Holy spirit and God, the and and Jesus, the son of God uh, kind of all together. There's something we see that in like in Genesis chapter one, you see that when Jesus is getting baptized and there's instances where we see throughout scripture where like the, the Trinity is connected and I think when you have Jesus in his glorified form here, you're seeing uh, the completion. You're seeing uh, all three present. Uh, all three are working. They're in unity, and they're conveying something mm-hmm. to us, to the bride, 
to take note of. And so I think that that makes, I think even though there's a temptation to shy away from this, but we don't understand it, but I think there's an importance to this message mm-hmm. to emphasize that the uh, all three parts of the Trinity are emphasizing and are in unity and are speaking this all at once. Mm-hmm. Something else, um, just as a general observation from this chapter, and we're going to see over and over and over again throughout the whole book of Revelation, is look at how Jesus is referred to. Um, He is always referred to in might and power and glory, and he's always highly exalted. Mm -hmm. Um, That as the Bible um, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's that breath of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, was given to us to testify about him. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives today is to point us back towards Jesus, to remind us of everything that Jesus is. And so as the Holy Spirit is inspiring this and God is giving this vision to John, showing how Jesus will make all things new again and and bring us, the church, his bride, back to him as we'll get to in later chapters, Jesus is spoken about so highly and he is coming back as this king and you know and it's so it's all this crazy wording that in the gospels we see a passionate powerful Jesus but acting out of service acting out of humility and while it's the exact same Jesus when he will be coming back he will be coming back in that victory that he will be coming back and so you might be surprised sometimes when you hear different descriptors of Jesus and you're like, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know, <laughs> but it's the same Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the Holy Spirit and God is there inspiring this and John is seeing this. He's seeing this victorious, powerful Jesus that is coming back for the people he loves. Yeah. And it says to him who loves us and mm-hmm. freed us from our sins. So it says that he loved us before he washed us of our sins. So he yeah. loved us first, wow. even when we were dirty and filled with sin. He loved us. Mm-hmm. So Daniel, what what should we do with when he's talking about these different churches and all those hard to pronounce cities? <laughs> <laughs> I think, like you said, there is different ways that we can interpret uh, the reading of Revelation. We can read it, and it can be the literal that this happened, uh, or in in John's time, and now it's done and over with. And I think that. Many of us, and I myself agree with you, Jacob, that this is something that is a future events. And so we can look that this was actually written to these churches. So the next couple of chapters we're going to be reading as Jesus gives specific instructions to that church in that moment. But I think that as the church, we are able to relate and identify with the struggles of the church of the past because... There's no temptation new to man, and there's nothing new under the sun. And so when we see these struggles that the churches are going through, we can pull and extrapolate something that, uh, a principle uh, that we can apply to our church, uh, the warnings that are sent, or warnings that we can receive of the church, the praises that are received, or the praises that we can receive as we follow in these footsteps. Because following Jesus is about following Jesus, and that hasn't changed since he walked this earth. And so that's why I think that even when we're reading this, we can say we don't have to just say that is a of a previous age of the church, and that's not something that applies to us anymore, more that these are specific issues that the churches were struggling with, and we as a global church, as a local church, can still have those same struggles and uh, end up getting those consequences, or the consequences can come to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I I am having I'm trying to find places that I can speak here because I have a very the the main perspective that I have on this book is the futurist perspective. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to lay that on everybody that's listening to this, whether they don't believe that that's the the way that it will happen or whatever what this book actually means or um, just put those things that have been deciphered by other men mm -hmm. on this. So it, I'm just struggling a little bit with where to really chime in. I, um, well, I would say that just in, in encouragement that me and Jacob, are, we agree with you in that, and that's our personal mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. And we're not discounting other people of faith that have had different opinions when it comes to this because uh, the ultimate message is that uh, this is this message. This book is about hope. Mm -hmm. You know, this right. book is about Jesus returning and Him calling up His bride and us spending eternity in glory with Him. Yeah. And so I don't think that there's. You don't have to necessarily. I wouldn't apologize for any of those points of view because yeah. there's great people that debate different sides of it, and there's not. I think there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to absolutely interpret all of these words. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is where I'm struggling a little bit, though, because mm -hmm. I have such a point of view of it very strongly from one side out of those four beliefs there. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say the one that, that stuck out to me a little bit at first here is going back a little bit from where you just were. Um, and you actually just touched on it um, where it's uh, verse seven. It says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Um, I mean, whether you're you believe this is futurist or not, Jesus has not come back yet. So mm -hmm. that is referring to the time when he does come back. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, every eye will see him. It'll be mm -hmm. undeniable when he returns mm -hmm. who he is. For people that have chosen not to believe in him, they will not be able to have that belief anymore when they lay their eyes upon him. Mm -hmm. I think one thing in, <clears throat> that is important, I have always thought that Revelation was a book of doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. And when I got to verse three it says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near yeah. and then what i actually learned was that there are actually seven blessings within revelation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that if you truly want to be blessed you should read the book of revelation mm -hmm. yeah. that it's one of the most blessed books of yeah. the bible mm -hmm. yeah. um it has a bad rap of being the doom and gloom because right. of that futuristic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tendency. Yeah. And I'll say I've always been the opposite of it where it's always been the most intriguing book to me. Um, just for the fact that um, there's so many different ways to look at it, obviously and decipher this, but um, just the fact that through reading it and through doing study on it, it's made me view the world in a different way to where like watching the news and, and studying moves that are being made throughout the, you know, throughout mm -hmm. the world with political leaders. And I think it's part of the reason that I'm so into politics as well, because I always have an eye on things now to see if, if, you know, if anything is developing that has been what I believe foreseen still to come in this book. So it's really, it's, it's been a blessing to me because it's made me tune in a lot more mm -hmm. and and really grow in a lot of different ways so it has i mean in that way alone it's been a blessing to me i think in my life brent mm -hmm. what's the um a question i have about that is that when i think about the um for lack of a better word and this is a terrible word to use it, but kind of like the conspiracy theory kind sure. of part aspect of it mm -hmm. where you're kind of like constantly looking out seeing kind of what's going on mm -hmm. always kind of behind the scenes 
Um, with that, I know that there's maybe like a tendency to isolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it can come to that, you can have the people that will build bunkers and that will just kind of like stockpile. And not that there's anything wrong with that or not that that doesn't, that's not prudent or doesn't sure. exercise some type of wisdom. Um, but I just wonder how that can um, turn into something more negative when you read about the book and maybe more distancing and separating yourself from people, mm. uh, which I don't think that's what the gospel message is ever intended to do. Yeah, and for me, it it, it personally hasn't done that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just made me um, truthfully have more of a connection in a way with the truth of, of the Bible and the truth mm-hmm. of the Word of God because I believe what the Bible says, and if this is the future's version of this, I believe that this is going to happen someday. Mm -hmm. So it almost keeps me more tied into the Spirit and more aware of how that is working and making me aware of that. And that, in turn, focuses me on continuing to grow in my spiritual journey and in my spiritual health and in my spiritual development Mm -hmm. um, and who I am as as a member of the kingdom of God. And for me, it doesn't make me isolate myself because I'm not afraid of it. Mm, as much cool. as you can look at this and say, because it, you know, if this is futurist and a lot of these right. things are to come the way that they've been deciphered by a lot of scholars, it is a scary time on Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it literally becomes hell on Earth. It becomes the dominion of Satan. It's at, at the second point of the tribulation, and um, it can be scary. But at the same time, I trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So. It's not scary to me, mm-hmm. you know. It's just an intriguing thing to me to keep an eye on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. And I think... Oh, I was just going to say, I can see how it can make people afraid and draw right. in, though. But it mm-hmm. doesn't do that for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I think an, an interesting cross-reference um, in the Bible is a parable that Jesus told. Um, and he's talking... It's the parable of the ten virgins, I believe. And um, basically, um, there are... 10 virgins and they are awaiting the groom, but some of them um, are super prepared. They know what's going to happen. So they have their wicks trimmed and they have the oil. Um, That's where you get the Christianese, you know, phrase, trim your wicks and everything like that. But, um, but there were other uh, in that group that were not, they're like, Oh, you know what? When the time comes, we'll be fine. Well, they fell asleep because it went late into the night. So essentially when the groom comes, there's some that are prepared and they know because they been looking for the signs essentially but there are others that are unprepared and it's not a good ending for mm-hmm. them and so i think there there is a almost a mandate that jesus is giving us in that parable that we need to understand what is to come we do need to be watchful um you know there are countless commands to eagerly anticipate his coming to be looking to the kingdom of god um that we can't skip over revelation it's tough to understand. Um, it does quote the Old Testament so much. Um, like some people say up to 500 times their references, which is way more than I can count. But And so it's tough to understand, but it's something um, that we need to spend time in. And I think when we can get um, very fixated on just the the events and the and the visions that John is having, uh, and how they're going to necessarily transpire. Well, we're going to miss the theme throughout of the character of God, of the hope that we have, but also there's the calling. Like there is the intentionality that we live our life, knowing that this is our future, mm-hmm. knowing that this is what's to come. Uh, we live with an intentionality. We live on purpose. We don't have like the like the parable says, where they're just kind of like, ah, it'll probably work out. I'll have time. I can do all these other things. And you see that all throughout it. I mean, even um, 
even uh, James talks about like someone that's just kind of like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just sit, eat, drink and be merry, you know, and uh, we've laid up all this stuff for us. And now we can just kind of enjoy life. And God has a different purpose and God has a different purpose for his life. And the intentionality that we can have is seen uh, through it's in God calls us that Jesus calls us to be intentional as the church. And so I think this is a uh, very much it's a warning and it's important for us to uh, to see that as we can't just act like this is like not a big deal, especially because the severity of what's to come um, is something that, unfortunately, people are going to experience if they don't know Jesus or they say no to Jesus. Yeah, right. And I think you mentioned one word earlier that really sums up a lot of this, and it's hope. That if we want hope that's different than a wish, right, because that's how a lot of people use hope today, but if we want a certain hope, then we have to know the outcome. Essentially, we have to know the future. And to an extent, that's what we get here. And again, it's not about knowing every single little event, but that we know the future, that God is victorious and he loves us. And that is our hope. If we don't understand the totality of that, our hope won't be secure, Mm -hmm. which is scary. Yeah. And I'd like to, before you were referring to... um, kind of the terminology that they use of Jesus in this book about this mighty king, you know, this great warrior kind of verbiage. I love that in contrast to so much other that we know of him because everything that we, you know, kind of know to this point is he's gentle and he's loving and he's all these things. And, you know, that's where I think you get a lot of people's, um, uh, I can't think of the right word of what it is, stereotype of Jesus, like he's a hippie, you know, he's like mm-hmm. love everybody and all this stuff. But then you get to the, you know, to this part of the the um, the story basically and and uh, he's, he's commanding an army. I mean, he mm-hmm. is powerful and he's coming back, but he's doing all of that for us. Yeah. It's awesome. Like I get mm-hmm. excited thinking about that. You know, I don't want it to happen anytime soon, mm-hmm. but... Um, uh, in a way I do, but at the same time, I also know that there's so many other people out there that don't know him yet that right. I'm not like clamoring for this to happen today, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think about just in that day, Jesus, who loves us, he's waiting for his bride, the church, and God, because Jesus doesn't know the time. He says only the Father knows. Yeah. And so God the Father comes to Jesus one day in heaven and says, today's the day. And Jesus is like, Yes. And he's coming down and he is excited and he is not going to let anything stand in the way of his bride who he died for. That's us. So to understand that that's what's going on here is very different than seeing it as a doomsday story. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I love it. I get so excited about it because it's just it's fulfilling the promise of his return and why he's returning for us. Absolutely. Jen, what um, you said that you had a a just intimidated uh, perspective of this at first and um, now that you've had a chance to study and even just kind of hang out with us today um, what are some of the things that you feel like um, you can almost encourage some of the listeners who are just maybe just struggling with the idea that Revelation is not only intimidating but it's also like Jacob was saying like a doomsday um, what has been an encouragement for you I think now that I've started to read it it's exciting Mm. Um, I'm reading it now and, um, I'm reading and I'm looking at the vision of my father that's, that's coming and I'm excited. I'm excited to, uh, to see my dad come and to take us, 
uh, whenever it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Brent said, there's so many that don't know Jesus yet that I'm not waiting. You know, I can't wait for it to come tomorrow. But it's uh, it's a story um, that I didn't see in the beginning. I, I saw it before. Of a, it was a scary story. It was a story of, uh, am I ready for this? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. I didn't think. Yeah. But I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's cool. I mean, it, you, you hear from the from the time that you hear about Jesus and you become a believer, you hear he is coming back someday. And this is just basically laying out the details of, you know, this is how that's going to happen, you know. Um, and, and like you said before, though, a lot of it is um, – it's terminology from John's point of view. So a lot of it is strange. I mean, mm-hmm. did, did you guys want to get into any more of when they're talking about what Jesus looks like when he comes down is, uh, they say that his mouth had a two edged sword. Mm-hmm. And when, when I did some reading on that, they were saying that, um, they, they described it. Sorry if you can hear my paper turning, but <laughs> they were describing that the sword in his mouth shows that, his weapon is the word of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that was the only weapon that he needed. He didn't hold his weapons in his hand. Mm-hmm. His weapon was the actual word of God, which we can carry with us every day, all yeah. day long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that part right there stuck out to me yeah. the most. And it ties, in my opinion, like it feels like it ties back into the the verse uh, from Sports and Art Camp this year with putting on the armor of God mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff, it seems to be kind of along the same thing. And that always has been really cool to me. He yeah. just speaks and that's his sword. That's his weapon. Well, and, <clears throat> I mean, if you think about it, like we get a lot of, there's so much power in words. I mean, one of the things that it says is you're blessed if you speak this aloud. Yeah. Right. And, but uh, that we are created in the image of God and through his voice, he created everything. You know, from his mouth, from the words that he spoke, everything came into existence from creation. Mm-hmm. And but also through the, our voice, through the the voice that he's given us, we get the opportunity to to proclaim him as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, when we proclaim that, that also shifts our eternal destination. Mm-hmm. Part of salvation is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. So through the mouth, and then through the mouth comes uh, comes power again when Jesus comes. So there's. I think there's something to be said that there's so much power mm-hmm. in uh, the voice uh, because one we've been made in the image of God, but the voice of God, like in that we have, we have access to that. The right. Holy Spirit speaks to us. We have access through uh, to His Word, and I think that that's just uh, can sometimes not be translated as very powerful, or, or maybe we think about it as very powerful uh, very often, but uh, that it's absolutely. Right. Um, just uh, an amazing, amazing examples through the the scriptures of yeah. how powerful voice and words mm-hmm. are. Well, well, not even to get too far ahead in this story, but later in Revelation, we're going to see um, Armageddon. It's not just a term, but it's an actual place mm-hmm. um, that essentially Jesus's army, that the saints and, and the angels, we all line up, and then there's Satan and the demons on the other side. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has gathered this army. And what does he do? He says a word. He speaks, and the enemies are defeated. The power of words, and especially the word of God, Mm -hmm. is never to be underestimated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so we said that this this uh, episode would be a little different than normal. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just wrap it up there. Um, so with ending on the power of words, we're going to go ahead and pray pray out now. So Daniel, would you do that for us, please, to go ahead and wrap it up? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, Jesus, I'm just, uh, we're just overwhelmed that you love us so much, uh, that you went through such great lengths to show your love uh, by dying for us, by modeling uh, what it means to follow uh, you and to love God and to love people, but also, uh, Jesus, that you pers- you're pursuing us and you're eagerly waiting to be reunited with your bride, the church. That just speaks so much love and honor that you have towards us. And God, I just pray that that transforms us, that we see your love and that changes the way we live now. Uh, that we know, we see the hope that we have, and that changes the way that we interact with people. Uh, no longer are we easily offended, God, but we hope in you because of you are going to ultimately have the victory. And so we can just pursue people. Uh, we can love people the way you designed us to love them. And God, I just, I do pray for all uh, our listeners that they wouldn't be uh, discouraged at all or intimidated by the book of uh, Revelation, but God, that they would see. Uh, your wonderful plan that you have for the church. And I pray that that will uh, just drive us to want to share the hope that we have, share the good news that Jesus saves and that he, um, he at first came not to judge the world, but to save the world. But eventually it's going to be a time where he's going to come and he is going to judge the world. And so we want as many people as we can to be uh, a part of your bride, Jesus. And so help us, Lord, to just um, to gently and respectfully but lovingly communicate the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray that uh, that we would be forever changed by your love that you show us and by everything that you did to be united with us forever. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, that wraps it up for another episode of Weekly Impact Podcast, episode 21, guys. Can you believe that already? Jen, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming in today and joining us. It's always good to see you, always good to hear your point of view on things. Um, So, guys, that's it for now. Join us next week for the next episode of Weekly Impact. And until then, we just hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you then.